we'll read a few verses in your hearing today. These are noteworthy verses if you have means of notation or marking. Though the whole Bible is such, but I'll submit at least one line that I pray will be a seed planted in your life for pursuit. Amen. And Moses took the tabernacle and pinched it, pitched it without the camp. This is not the tabernacle you're thinking of far off from the camp and called it the tabernacle of the congregation. It's the first tent. And it came to pass that everyone which sought the Lord went out unto this tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. And it came to pass when Moses went out unto the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at his tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle and it came to pass. As Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. Verse 10. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. And I preach today in the residue. And all the people said, Amen. Block out everything in your mind, your heart, your spirit. Forget about what's happened last week. Do not consider tomorrow. Wherever you're standing, take into captivity every thought. Don't let your thoughts run astray. Block out every distraction. The people next to you, whatever they may whisper or say, put shielders on your ears and eyes. Guard your heart. Let the seed of the word become your pursuit of life. Amen. If by chance you must leave the sanctuary and come back in, then I admonish you to come back in and sit in the very back so that you're not walking toward the front while I'm preaching. That way there'll be no distractions. Amen. And everybody said amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. I read to you a small passage taken from what seems a small moment in time. The children of Israel have spent the better part of 430 years in Egypt, most of those in bondage. Egypt will offer them no goodwill. From one king to another, one pharaoh to another. 
there is a misuse of the people, they will settle in under the heavy hand of monarchs and men. It will come from the heart of constraint, generational bondage. It's a common thing among people and families, generational bondage. Some have customs they don't even know where they came from, habits, poor ways, addictions. Some have negative dispositions or just simply passed down from fathers and mothers. They blame it on ethnicity. They're just generational traits. That's how we've always done it. We've always been angry. The Bible speaks of generational curses, but there are also generational traits. Some issue success. Right thinking, a series of good decisions, one upon another, which then lead to prosperity and provisions and the like. Good work ethic can be learned from fathers to sons, from grandfathers and on down, just as entitlement can be learned and entitlement is being taught today. Some bondages have nothing to do with drug addictions or demons, not about alcohol, though both will bind the mind and the body in ways that can hardly be computed. But there are some which attend to a critical or sarcastic tone. Passed down. It's the chipping away of the softness of the heart when the family gets together and they bite at each other, constantly speaking in sharp tones, stripping each other of the tenderness of spirit. And before I go on, just know that we are all setting our future right now, this very day. You're setting your future. Your tomorrow is being developed right now, this moment. Some invest in stocks. This is a good thing. IRAs or 401ks. You do it because you know the future is coming. You might even make some investment in education for yourself or for your family because you know that their future may rest on this present moment of education. But few make investments in kindness. Because we cannot see the future value of today's present kindness. Generational kindness is greater, I submit, than all the money and the things you will ever leave behind your family will ever have. Generational kindness. I'm preaching about understanding and recognition and what is really valuable today. And no, it is not a talent or a car or some other thing you hold in your possession. Israel escaped Egypt. And as daunting a task as it seemed with all those plagues, come to find out, it was easier to get Egypt out of them. I'm sorry, it was easier for them to get out of Egypt than to get Egypt out of them. They were burdened by a generational mindset and it kept many of them from seeing the promises of Almighty God. Those 40 and younger. They made it. But all those 40 and over died. Besides Joshua and Caleb, everyone who entered the land of Canaan was born in the wilderness. They grew up in the sand and in the dirt, but they did not grow up in the, in the mire of defeatism, pessimism, or resignation. Those people had to die before the rest could cross over. 
Can you imagine some churches are just a few good funerals away from having revival? It ought not be that way. But if you walk in with a mindset of defeatism, that nothing's ever going to happen, we cannot make it, this is not going to happen, criticism and negative spirits, you drag down the hole and will never cross over. We've got to cross over today. You've got to get out of that. I don't want to see young people tainted with the memories of your wounds. They never experienced it, but we talk about it so much, it's, it's as if it happened to them. A new convert ought never know that you went through trouble with somebody else, but, but such is the case with people. I guess I'm not the evangelist today, am I? Where, where did that guy go? I read to you a small moment in time. Moses has led them through the Red Sea. He brought them all the way past Mara. And then to Mount Sinai. And God gave them the commandments. The tabernacle of Moses has yet to be built. In fact, even the instructions have yet to be given. There are no golden candlesticks, molten sea for the wash, no Ark of the Covenant there was no ephod yet or snow white linen garments made to cover the high priest. It's just God and Moses and the people. The voice of the I am and the voice of Moses. They had the wonder of the creator, a mountain burning with fire, the view of God's delivering power. They had the recent memory of the Red Sea as they walked through what could have been like glass walls of water or perhaps they were swirling violent walls begging to burst open. They had the memory of it. It was fresh in their minds. Just 50 days ago, they walked out and they did so by the mighty hand of the omnipotent. Moses, however, does not have a place of worship. Not like he will. It was, it was, not, the, it was not the design place anyway. It was simply known as, as the tabernacle of the congregation or the tent of meeting. The children of Israel did not live around it as they would around the tabernacle of Moses. It was not in the middle of them with more convenient access. It was a far cry from Solomon's temple, which was immovable. The temple of Solomon kept God and worship in its place. Think with me now. The temple was a place to visit. The tabernacle was a place to build around. But the tent of meeting, the congregation, was a place they had to pursue. It start with pursuit. Then it became something we put in our lives in the middle. And then we built a place where we just go to visit every once in a while. The tent of meeting or the tabernacle of the congregation was a place where everyone could go. But you had to make the journey. Moses set it up outside the camp. It had no articles of gold inside of it. There are no overlaid acacia bowls. No, no pots or cherubims. It had no ceremony or known attendance. But God was there. Moses went there and spoke with God. Here it is again. He spoke with God face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And the people watched afar off. They stood at their own tents and doors and looked at it. They worshiped where they stood, maybe of reverence, certainly for fear. But they participated the entire time that Moses was speaking with God in the tabernacle of the congregation.
They were engaged in the moment as long as that glorious cloud hovered above. We are not given the frequency nor the time. Maybe every day, maybe every other, maybe for 15 minutes or 30 or an hour or two. Regardless, the people stood at their doors, kneeled on the ground, worshipped with their hands. They watched and they worshipped the whole time the visible God was present. Set it in your mind's eye. Moses was inside the cloud at the entrance. All the people rose up and worshipped every man and family in their place while the God of heaven and earth came in the form of a visible cloud. He was known by them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night ahead of them and behind them. The wonder of the I am that I am. The all-encompassing infinite consorting with the meager minds of the temporal. The omniscient invisible manifestation unconfined by the wind. But also by his own divine will he presented himself to them by open display. Ah. I've been in moments like that in church services that it seemed like God was like a cloud covering the sanctuary. I remember as a young boy, a miracle happened in our church and someone walked out of a wheelchair and people were just laying on the floor. I just crumbled down and it was so thick, his overwhelming presence. I've sunk to my knees a thousand times. I've danced and jumped and cried and waved my hands at any attempt to express his greatness and my gratitude. You are great, Lord! All the vocabulary that's within me, I've cast it upon him and is so limited. We are all so limited. But whatever we can do to express his greatness, we must do it. Whatever you can give God, you owe it to him to give it to him. Whether by song or by shout or by dance or a wave offering or your attention or your submission or your ambition. We owe it to our great God to give it back to him. You're in the tabernacle today. You owe it to your God to give him praise. Please forgive me if this sounds condescending. It's not my intent. But where did the living sacrifice go? Where did the living sacrifice go? Our worship, whether in giving or in service or in praise or in witness, these, ladies and gentlemen, are non-negotiable. We are living, we are alive, walking, breathing, embodied sacrifices. And if we are not, we are not of His. That's the Bible. We cannot act like we are followers of the Lord without obeying the Word of God. Only if you obey the Word of God are you really followers of Him. My grandfather, Farino, taught me that. We met someone who was part Italian, but they didn't like pasta. And my grandfather said, what's wrong with you? You can know Italiano. There's no Italiano don't like a pasta. Get away. You're excused. Go over there with O'Malley. You're not a child of God if you don't worship God. You're not a Christian if you don't follow the scripture. What's wrong with you? 
Come on, you got to get back to the Lord. You can't create him in your, your own mind. His word is alive and true. You can't say that you're a Christian and not be a servant of the Most High God because only the servants of God are the real apostolic disciples of Jesus. I'm in the book now. <laughs> Body of this house, the family, we were, were made to praise him. And I don't know how it happens. It, it's by his own divine will. I, no one can constrain him. The wind blows where it wants to blow. I can't, I can't force his hand, uh, but, I can, but when I raise mine, <laughs> when I raise my hand to him, something happens in the heavenlies. I don't know what happens. I don't know how this works, but... <laughs> When I raise my voice to him, it's like an invitation. And the cloud starts to come down and he envelops this house in praise. When you just, hey, if you ever get in trouble and you don't know what to do, just stop and just lift up your hand and say, I love you, I worship you, uh, I praise you. Tell your father that you need him. The Bible offers us no time frame. They had, they had no expectations of the moving of the cloud. Not then, not even in the wilderness. Not, not with the eventual tabernacle of Moses. And certainly not here in the tabernacle of the congregation. There was no limit or constant on God's presence. No one monopolized it. The beautiful cloud. The people worshiping. The men standing and kneeling and the families gathering, watching, waiting. But when it was over, the scripture states that Moses left the tent of meeting. He left the tabernacle of the congregation. He went about leading the people because that is what a leader must do. He was the oracle and he held the law. And there was a function to his calling. And in likeness, when the cloud lifted, the people rose up and they went back to their daily duties like all of us will do today or tomorrow because jobs are pressing and the kids must be fed. They carried on about their lives, cleaning and working, preparing for the day to come and for the next. They had priorities and obligations. It's just life. Life takes place. I get it. There are bills to be paid and doctor's appointments to be made. There are conversations to be had and relationships to be built, developed, cultivated. Yes, they paused to consider the hovering cloud. At the very least, they put aside whatever they were doing to honor and worship him. The busyness came to a halt. The cloud came at its own listing. We are all busy but we should never be too busy for Bible study or worship or serving one another or in the church. We should never be too busy for the preached word. You see, when people excuse themselves from worship or from serving or from the prayer room, when they say, I've just been really busy, I, I know, we're all busy. 
but there are some priorities you cannot skip. Because as I preach to you, you command you. You do what you want to do. Life happens to all of us. Days run into weeks and weeks into months and then a whole year passes and we're scratching our heads saying, where did that year go? Then we're told by advertisers and merchandisers what we need and what we cannot live without. Time is stolen more than any other asset on this planet. Time. Gamers stay up all night. Movie hounds have a thousand options today. Jobs will offer you all the overtime you can handle until there is no time left for God or for worship. And all you've got at the end is a paycheck. Then comes our normal obligations, necessities, which cannot be ignored. And then comes our church service. And oh, how we've been so blessed to come together and to hear choirs and preaching and the blessings of God. And I know that work is waiting for everybody. I'm not complaining about it. There's nothing wrong with fulfilling our obligations or maintaining our duties. Yes, we all have responsibilities. But there is no comparison to being in attendance at the entrance of the cloud. There's nothing. Anytime someone is forgiven, it means the presence is here. Anytime one person is healed, it means that God is here. In fact, anytime someone, no matter where they're located, is filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and as the Bible says, they begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the, the, the utterance, that means that God has just invested himself in this house. Anytime, here, pastor, there's praise, you know he has come. And anytime his already anointed word is taught, preached, or delivered, you know he's here. Or just when two or three agree in his name, it may not be two or three hundred or two or three thousand, just two or three. One, two, three. If just two or three, it means he's present. And I just say, if you want him to be here, do something about it right now. If you want the cloud, do something about it right now. He's coming at your beck and call. This is his habitation. This is God's habitation. You don't know what the cloud can do when you begin to make a habitation for the almighty God. You don't know what the cloud can do. He can restore and he can heal and he can deliver. When the cloud comes, everything happens. When the cloud comes, this is the habitation of the God of glory. Yes!
I've been to events and the homes and the conferences and the dinners and I know that I'm welcome when I receive an invitation in the mail when my name is printed on an invitation and it's lined out in silver or gold almost a calligraphy I know that someone took some time to invite me the invitation of God he's not just rushing in here if we don't want him but if you will welcome him and invite him and do your best to extend an invitation to your need to the one who can do anything if you'll extend an invitation the cloud will come the God of glory will be here the Lord of hosts will fight your battle And I caution you, do not think because you are religious that God is provoked to visit with you. Do not think because you call yourself some denominational name that that invokes the favor of God. Do not think because you have tenure in a church that suddenly he will come to your rescue. It's none of those things. But when you speak the name of Jesus and say, I need you, then he comes. Then he comes. Please be seated for a moment. And when you get down, clap your hands again and just invite him into your place. But when the cloud lifted and Moses stepped back into form, and when the men picked themselves off from the dirt and turned around and families gathered themselves again and people went back to their predetermined assignments of routines and functions. Here's your Bible. Joshua did not depart out of the tabernacle. The cloud is lifted and Moses is gone. The people are about their day. But Joshua departed not out of the tabernacle. Of the Hebrew writers, they say of Joshua, and I quote, he stayed in the residue. Everyone is gone, but Joshua stuck around just to be in the residue, like a lingering fragrance, an ointment, akin to the scent of that broken alabaster box that filled the house where Jesus was sitting They scolded her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. She's anointed me for my burial. And then after he died, the women will come early in the morning to the grave to finish the work of the anointing, but they never did that. Perhaps Mary Magdalene had already done all the work that needed to be done. And it stayed, it lingered. It filled that house even when he left them. It enveloped the air because that kind of ointment is very strong. And while Jesus was stripped and beaten and tossed from house to house and into the streets and the courtyards, there is some speculation that the ointment, the scent, somehow remained on him in some form. It's a speculation. I cannot tell. 
But I do know this, that Jesus, even the sound of his name, leaves a lasting fragrance in the air. I know when it's time to go home. I know our homes, the tent is a mess. They must have said the same sheep to feed and clothes to wash and hang out to dry. I know the cloud was lifted and Moses has already taken up his leadership role. I know that people need to carry on with the task, but Joshua stayed in the tabernacle. He stayed for the residue. He didn't want to leave it. I know you're gone now. I know that's all over, but there's something that, that remains. The Holy Spirit is speaking today. His fragrance, his fragrance lasts longer than his appearance. His presence is available to the time you give him, yes. But if you stay and search and seek and linger, he'll make it so that you can feel him still. And I know the time is pressing. I know that days are pressing. I know our moments here. I feel that. How many hundreds and thousands of sermons that I was about to conclude and I, I groaned and thought in my mind, is it over? One night I preached this sermon called Running Out of Sunday Night. Running out. It's a great moment, but it was over. Because we're so conflicted and our minds are just filled with so much junk. It's not all sin, it's just news and all kinds of conflicts. People are engaged in things you can never change, you will never change. All the while your brain is so far from the things of God, your mind, your thinking. We're concerned about things that we ought not to be concerned about. Yes, I'm, I pray for different things and situations, but what about the most important things? Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true. When you get done with everything, Paul said, whatsoever things are honest, true, and whatsoever things are just. That's right. That's right. Whatsoever things are pure, Philippians 4, 8. Whatsoever things are lovely. That's lovely. Whatsoever things have a good report. If there be anything, Good thing. If there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think. Think. You want to know why your life is chaotic and there's no peace and you got no peace in your home and you have no peace in your life and you're, con- you're conflicted all the time and you're angry and look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. I read to you verse 8. Here's verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. Everything you've learned and seen, do them. You do them. And the God of peace. I'm not talking about a little comfort here and there. I'm talking about the God of peace is going to be with you if you think on those things. There's only really two reasons why we like scented candles in our home (laughs) one is because the house is cleaned and it's just nice to have that fragrance the other is because the house is not cleaned (laughs) 
I were trying to cover up something. <laughs> but when you walk in and you smell that lingering fragrance, in fact, I can even blow out the candle and the little bit of smoke that rises up, it still has the scent of what was burning before. That's the residue. If you want peace in your life, you get back to things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. And if it doesn't make that list, don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Don't entertain it. But I just don't have time for that, Pastor. I just don't have time for meditation. I just don't have time to think about that. Well, well, you better make some time. Otherwise, you're going to keep on popping those anxiety pills, and you're going to have heart problems. You're going to have depression. I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why most of our issues are happening today, because we're so stressed out. I'm not talking about old, just older folks. I'm talking about young people are stressed out, and grade school kids are stressed out. We got no time to think about what's good. That's lovely. No, we don't get on the phone and say, I got a great report for you. We get on the phone, we get on our computers, and we post things about what's bad, what's happened, all this stuff is bad. When was the last time you ever saw a whole news clip with all good reports? Because good reports, does not, they do not sell. You can't sell good on the television. You can't sell good on the website. You can only sell bad, angry people, upset people. War is always more profitable than peace. But the blessings of peace are so much greater than the damage of war. And you better get back to your mind and say, I'm going to have peace and the God of peace is going to be with me because I'm going to do what I've learned. I'm going to receive what I heard. I'm in the book. People that don't even know the Bible know Psalms. Even people who don't even believe in God know Psalms. Even, even, at, even at funerals where, where, you know, all the, you know, the family can gather together. They may not, they may hate the Lord. They may be a bunch of devils, but they're, they're going to read a Psalm. That's just what you do. All right, let's find out what the Psalms say. Psalm 1. How about the first one? Because, you know, you always start with one. Blessed is the man. He don't walk in the places... He don't stand in certain places. He don't sit in certain places. I've already gone over this. So watch this in succession, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates there day and night. And then verse 3 says, then he'll be like a tree planted. You start with where not to be. And then you get your mind to where it should be. And then your life gets stable. (laughs) Do you know that people are trying to sell what I just said and people buy subscriptions about what I just said? Thousands of dollars are spent trying to figure out what to do. I'll tell you what not to do. Don't go there. Don't talk to them. Don't sit there. Don't sit at that table. Don't consort with that person. Don't walk by. Don't get around scorners. Everybody's or poor mouth and everybody don't. And then when you get, then you're going to have a lot of time on your hands to meditate in the word day and night. And then after you get done meditating the word, guess what's going to happen? Deep roots, stability, all of a sudden you're standing up straight, things are going right. Why? Because you had time to meditate on the Lord because you stayed around the things of God. 
Because even after the preaching was over, you said, I got to be in the residue of this. I know I got things to do, but I'd rather just stand in the residue of it. Hey, I, I could go on all day. I'll just offer you one more. It's Psalm 77, verse 12. Here's what the writer said. I will meditate also of thy work and talk of thy doings. It's a succession. I meditate and then I talk. Whatever you're talking about, that's what you've been thinking about. You talk about yourself, you've just been thinking about yourself. You take a thousand selfies, all you care about is you. If all you care about is you. If all your albums are filled with you, then it's just about you and what you feel like. And you'll just talk about yourself and you'll talk about your feelings and you'll talk about how it makes you feel. And that means you serve no one. You serve nobody. You care about nobody because it's all about how you feel and how you look and how you're presented and your needs and all your stuff. And, there, and then when someone comes with a burden and a loss, you don't even know how to pray for them because you can't feel the, uh, the pain and the affliction of someone else. That's not of God. First of all, you meditate on his work and then you talk about your doings and about God's goodness. The residue... It's so critical. It's always what's left behind. The residue is the evidence of what came before. You walk into a room, people stop talking. Have you ever walked into a room and everyone stopped talking? You can just feel like something was wrong. Tension is in the air. I don't know what was just said, but I'm feeling like I got to get out of here now. Why? You didn't hear any sound. No one made a, no made a remark, but you can feel it. Walk into a place where a friend just stood and complimented you. You can feel it. It's like the cologne that permeates the space. They're no longer around, but that lingering scent of perfume, it carries on. You see, there are things, it's the spirit of a person, an individual that carries with them a meek and quiet spirit. It's an adornment. You can feel it when you walk by them. Even when they're gone, you can just feel that. When purity walks by, those who are pure in spirit, there's something I always feel. It leaves such a difference in my life and the atmosphere. It's the residue of their spirit. There's opposites of that. The Bible talks about a brash woman. She's loud. Solomon will call her demanding and froward. When she walks through the room, anxiety rises. Everyone's on, on pins and needles. When she leaves, there's a trail of tension that remains. <laughs> there was no amens on that at all. <laughs> it's okay, just be quiet. Sometimes just be quiet. In your, mi in your mind, you, you either say, woe is me, or, oh, he keeps talking about my wife. <laughs> I hope she gets it. <laughs> so too is the carnal man. He's carnal, all full of flesh. He's angry, rash. He's intemperate. Or the weak man, he's led by the whims of everybody else. He doesn't have a backbone, won't stand up for what's right. Just, he leaves the residue of weakness and spinelessness. And he leaves a trail, a lingering scent of humanity. 
There's always a residue wherever you go. Kindness, a gentle spirit, an encouraging person, it's impossible not to notice them even when they're gone. They're like magnets drawing the weary soul to their side. And upon the departure, the residue of confidence remains. Someone gave me a word this last week, a a minister, a pastor, and he gave me a word, just spoke something real quick to me in my ear. It just, oh, I I, I breathed a sigh of relief. It was so assuring, so much affirmation in just a small sentence. And then for several days later, I just kept thinking about it over and over my mind, and he picked up the phone this morning and called me when I was in my office, and I said, I couldn't stop thinking about the wonderful thing you said. The residue comes from what you desire most. It's what you put on like a garment. Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There are decisions of your mind and your heart today. Put on joy. Take on peace. Wear a smile like a new coat. Practice praising the Lord. Do it until it becomes natural. Praise Him in the morning. Praise Him in the noonday. Do it by desire. When you got conflict in your home, just say Jesus. Let the name just kind of make a... And even after you speak it, there's a residue that's existing. Out of one home can come a negative, hateful spirit and a but out of one home can also come joyful and, and, and positivity and love. It's odd to me that out of one home can come two different people. Not because they were taught differently, but because they chose differently. You don't have to be like the rest of your negative family. Don't tell me that's, that's just how you were raised. Tell me how you were born again. Amen. You can take on by intention whatever you want to be. It is a purposeful disposition. Disposition. It's like the ebb and flow, the high and low, the gains and losses. They don't determine the fragrance of your spirit. You choose it. God is good to you, and that's enough. To live as Christ is gain. Live as Christ, but to die is gain. Read it in your Bible. There have been times when the service was over, even here, but I was not over. Doors are open and people were scurrying to their anticipated appointments. I get it, I know, there's no condemnation, but I just couldn't leave. I just had to stand here because there was a residue. I know it was all gone. Everybody was gone, but I, I wanted the residue. I wanted, to, I wanted to bask in the scent I'm not telling you that God had left me, but, but the power of all that we felt it just kind of lifted and people were going and it's okay. We have children, we have jobs and later today you'll have many things to do. But I wonder when was the last time that we all just said, we're just going to stick around and stay in the residue and something about the Lord. I, I, I'm a 15 year old kid. I'm, I'm at the altar after a, a big rally service. It was in Bridgeton, Missouri. My hands were lifted. I'll never forget the day. Most of my friends were gone. They were, they were going to go to some restaurant. and A couple of us rode together. I, was, I, was, I rode with Diane and, and uh, a couple of other kids. And they were waiting there. We'd 
they were on the front row just praying, but I was at the altar praying, and the music, musicians were barely hanging on, but I, I just couldn't leave. It was something about being in the service. I know it was all over. The preaching was done. The altar service was done. They dismissed it, but there was something about, I couldn't leave. I didn't know the scripture, really. I didn't know it. When I read it many years ago and I put it in my heart and the Lord spoke it this week, I remembered there's something about the residue. I don't know how Joshua became the leader of the nation. I'm not exactly sure. But I will say leadership did not come first. His desire for God came first. He wasn't looking to lead the people. He was looking to stay in the presence of God even after everybody was gone. If you want to be successful, stay around the residue and feel and let the scent of the Most High God get inside of you. I'm, I'm not... I'm not commanding you to do anything, but uh, so just take it, take, take this and filter it with my heart. But if you want to have the Lord, don't just rush out of his presence. Don't run to another article. Don't run to another event. Don't check your watch and say, oh man, I hope it's getting over pretty soon. Make plans to stay longer than you thought it would last. And when the Lord is moving in your home, you turn that phone upside down. You put it on vibrating under your pillow. You put it in the other room. You lock it. You flush that thing. You get rid of it. I don't care. That loss of your phone call, don't let it interrupt your time with the Most High God. I'm afraid when people, when I see people praying and their phones are right next to them just in case somebody calls. What? We got to have something on. We, gotta, we don't want to miss anything. Hear me. There's nothing you're going to miss. You're not missing anything. If you get some God in you, it's greater than anything that comes your way. about the priority of your life I'm preaching about the desires of your heart I'm preaching about you getting so close to God that even after it's over you've got to say would you play a little bit longer and if you go I cannot go I don't know if people talk in code and I'm not really good with that I'm not necessarily linear, but I, but I also don't interpret very well, I think. <laughs> but there are a few things that I catch on to every once in a while. I'm not completely ignorant, just a little. Like when I say, well, how that person, how's that, how are they doing? Well, you know. No, I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea. Well, you know, Pastor. No, I do not. I never say that, but in my mind, I'm thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, how's your family? Well, you know. I'm smiling, shaking my head. I'm wondering why I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something that I forget. It's been a while ago. I was done preaching. Pastor was there. Musicians were just kind of 
wrapping up. People, most of them were gone. And somebody over on the altar side, just walking back and forth and just praying. They were mumbling something and waving their hands to God, tears running down. And the pastor looked at me in code, smiled and said, they always stay around. They're the last to leave. It's not bad to go to Applebee's or MCL or whatever you like. It's not bad. It's It's not wrong. It's not wrong. When was the last time you stayed? When was the last time you didn't rush out? When was the last time the Lord's presence was so thick? You just said, you know, I don't care what happens. I'm going to give it a couple extra moments, 30 minutes, half an hour. You got this little weight on you. I got to go. I got to go. I got things to do. No, you don't have anything to do that's greater than the residue. And if you learn how to live in the residue and get in the residue, it'll sustain you for the rest of your life. And everything that you do face is going to be so much better because there's something on you, the spirit of the most high God. And you walk out in faith and boldness and joy and courage. And trouble is going to find you tomorrow. It's going to find you on Thursday. It's going to find you next month. But because you've been in the residue, you're going to face that. Your language is going to change. People are going to want to know what happened to you. And you're just going to simply say, you know, I've been reading the Bible. I've been thinking about the Lord. I've been putting in my mouth and in my mind whatsoever things are good and faithful and pure and just and holy and righteous. I've been, it's just been coming out of me. And when people say, well, how is it going? You quickly change the subject to get it back on Jesus. You don't let people lead you away to some nonsense. Because something's in your spirit, your heart. Say, oh, wait a second, wait a second. I've I've been there where people said, you know, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about how good God's been. It's a little uncomfortable for most of the folks because they don't like that. They're embarrassed. Well, we're we're not gossiping. Oh, yes, you are. We're not supposed to say the S word, but I'll just say it. Shut up. (laughs) Yes, you were. You were You were mouthing off. You cloaked it in some kind of religious thing. Well, just pray for them. No, you don't have to pray. Just pray for them in your private closet. You have to tell all the stuff. Put in your mind how good the Lord is and get in the residue and talk about what's lovely and pure and of good report. And if you're going to post anything, why don't you post something good? If you're going to put a thumbs up, which I don't know what that's about, but if you put a thumbs up, put the thumbs up on things that are holy and righteous and godly and pure. And if you want peace and joy instead of anxiety, think about the God of peace and do these things. I'll tell you what, you want to marry a godly lady that'll love you the rest of your life and serve you and be the greatest thing that ever happened since sliced bread? I'll tell you what, put on the Lord. Speak things that are holy and not antagonistic because you attract who you are. (laughs) Oh, no. You attract who you are. Who you are is what you're attracting. It's like an ointment. It's like a fragrance. It's like a cologne. And if your cologne says, I hate everybody and everything's wrong and I'm suspect, you attract that same person. 
But if your perfume, if your scent comes from the residue of the spirit, then you're going to attract someone's holy and godly and lovely. Amen. And all the people said amen. And you're in the cloud right now. And the cloud is here right now. And the Lord's presence is here right now. But when the cloud kind of goes and the time is over, I challenge you, stay in the residue. Okay. Stand right now with me and lift up your hands to the Lord. And just tell him the intent of your heart. I planted a seed, but now you've got to pursue it now. Ah. Come on, lift up your hands to God. All the men and all the ladies and all the boys and girls, lift up your hand to God, one or both, and just say, I need you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Come on, wave to him. You owe that to him. Tell him the intent of your life.